Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have an important European Council in difficult times. It is very important to demonstrate again that the European Union is united, united to defend our principles, to defend our values. EU leaders are gathered here in Brussels for their set-piece two-day summit. But this time, the stakes are even higher than usual, as you just heard there from European Council President Charles Michel. They're here to talk about a huge number of topics, everything from migration to revamping the EU's multi-annual budget, which has important implications for another big issue on the agenda, the EU's support for Ukraine. made very clear that we support Ukraine for as long as it takes. President Zelensky addressed the leaders from Kiev via video link on Thursday, trying to make sure that the EU's support for Ukraine remains unwavering, despite events in the Middle East. We must do everything to prevent an even larger international fire from breaking out in the Middle East. The enemies of freedom are very interested interested in bringing the free world to the second front. The sooner security prevails in the Middle East, the sooner we will restore security here in Europe. And needless to say, the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas and its far-reaching consequences have dominated the discussions. Will the EU's 27 leaders manage to find consensus on any of these issues? I'm Suzanne Lynch, host of EU Confidential. Now, in this episode, we've left our cosy studio at Politico headquarters here in Brussels and headed down the street to the European Council building. I'm sitting here beneath the atrium, which is filled with journalists from all over Europe here to cover this two-day summit. So I'm joined now by our team of journalists here at the European Council headquarters. I've got Barbara Moons, Hans van der Burkhard, Jacobo Baragatti and Nick Vinokur. Thanks, guys, for taking some time out uh, to speak to us on the podcast. Thank you. Sounding very awake for this time of night, I must say. Um, Barbara, starting with you, tell us what's on the agenda on this summit. There seems to be quite a hodgepodge of issues on the table. Yeah, it was supposed to be an economic summit, also preparing the EU's budget review, which is supposed to be agreed on before the end of the year. Of course, we have the regular issue of Ukraine that comes up every time. And then, of course, the situation in the Middle East 
happened and that made that really the biggest issue uh, of this European Council and also one of the most divisive issues between EU countries. Mm. Jacobo, it's a bit of a strange summit. I mean, I saw you there working your sources, texting, taking phone calls, but you were saying there earlier that there wasn't much uh, feedback really from what was happening in the room. Yeah, I mean, the, the leaders, uh, it, it lasted five hours, uh, the discussion on the Middle East. And during these five hours, the leaders didn't have their cell phones. And the diplomats were also cut off because usually there is a, a not-taking, meaning that there are in the room people that take notes and then send these notes to delegations. But this time, uh, the discussion was so complicated that it was not even a, a not-taking. You can already see how complex it was by the length of the leader statement 10 days ago. It was just two paragraphs, uh, very short, because to agree on something on the Middle East is just very complicated. Nick, as Jacopo mentioned here, the big issue is the Middle East. It's very much dominating the summit here. Talk us through, you know, what are the divisions? What is the EU trying to get in terms of some kind of a cohesive policy on this? They're trying to project unity. Uh, We've just come out of a phase where the top diplomat was disagreeing with the president of the commission, a rather embarrassing sort of display of of not agreeing to the the same position. And uh, the challenge here was really to, as Jacopo was saying, was really to get to one uh, statement on the EU. And you had a spectrum uh, going from uh, some countries that were, I would say, more on the pro-Israel side, Austria, Germany, um, all the way to the more pro-Palestinian side, uh, which I would say probably Ireland and Spain. And Spain actually emerged as a a key actor at this summit because they were pushing for some special language, held out for a long time, and managed to parlay that into a whole new paragraph calling for a peace conference. I think it's important that we have uh, in the horizon uh, a peace summit where we can also channel uh, the engagement of the international community to, to reach a, a final agreement, a peace agreement between Israeli and Palestine with these two states. Barbara, as Nick was describing there, lots of discussion about the actual language in this text, so much sensitivity, so much nuance. Can you talk us through what they have agreed now on Thursday night here in terms of the language on the Middle East? Yeah, there was some criticism on European navel-gazing because they were talking about whether it should be called a humanitarian pause or a humanitarian pauses or a humanitarian ceasefire, kind of reflecting the diverging views of EU countries. In the end, they settled on the language that was agreed already by the leader's rights hand, so humanitarian pauses which would allow for short breaks to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza, but shies away from anything that looks like a ceasefire, which is too sensitive for the countries that defend Israel's right for self-defense. There is a a serious deterioration of the humanitarian situation in Gaza, and that's why we think that the EU should do everything which is possible uh, in order to to help resolve this uh, question of the humanitarian access. And uh, the conclusions that we have agreed uh, today are very explicit on the fact that uh, we want to be uh, very uh, determined to try to have a positive influence on that uh, question. Hans, on this issue, you report for Politico from Berlin. The German position here is fascinating. Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic have taken a very pro-Israel stance. Can you talk us through um, what has been the situation in Berlin and the, the position of, of German Chancellor Olaf Scholz ahead of this summit? Yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, for Germany, the 
defense of Israel is a very, very important issue, obviously for historic reasons. Um, Angela Merkel about a decade ago said that Israel's security is Germany's Staatsraison. It's a German word to say uh, basically the core state policy. And Olaf Scholz emphasized that this last week again, that saying that this is really this, this core state policy that Israel has to preserve and has the right to defend itself. And this is always what Germany has emphasized quite a lot, has taken a rather pro-Israelian stance. Then, of course, also said, okay, humanitarian aid is important, must be guaranteed. We could also see it as uh, Olaf Scholz uh, walked into the summit here today. He said um, he's absolutely sure that uh, Israel will uh, abide by humanitarian law when it uh, does any interventions in Gaza, etc. So he, he always takes this very, very pro-Israeli stance. And that was then also reflected in this, what Barbara just described as navel-gazing exercises, that the Germans were really cautious that there is no call for broad pause or ceasefire as such because they say as long as uh, there are Israeli hostages in Gaza, as long as there are terrorists that have murdered 1,400 um, Israeli people, Israel has the right to defend itself and there should not just be a broad call for a ceasefire and everything just stays frozen as it is now. And I mean we, we saw last week when there was that controversy about Ursula von der Leyen taking that trip to Israel without consulting Charles Michel of the European Council or Joseph Borrell, the EU High Representative. A lot of commentary was the fact that she is a German politician, that she was reflecting that instinctive pro-Israel, that she wanted to go to Israel to show that, that solidarity. Um, but as we did report last week, there was some backlash to that. Look, here we are at this European Council summit. I mean, how important is it what the EU says on this. I mean, do you think they have made progress, the fact that they came forward with this agreement? Today, the, the EU had one line, and this line is on this need of humanitarian pauses. So far, the other lines they agreed have been on the right of Israel of self-defense, but at the same time respecting international law and on this two-state solution. What happens with today is that the EU adds another piece to what is consensual among the 27. Look, the context, we're here in this room at the European Council. This war is in full swing. We saw, we heard pro-Palestinian protesters just outside the council here. Nick, I mean, do you think what leaders decide here matters? Is it going to have an impact of what's happening on the ground in Israel and Gaza? I think to be generous, it contributes to the mood, the global mood music and the international community, the pressure on Israel uh, into how hard it can go into Gaza. But, you know, it's been said time and time again, the EU is not a crucial player. It's not an EU aircraft carrier in the eastern Mediterranean. They're not a military player. They're a financial player for the Palestinians. But there is a sense of navel gazing, this long discussion about pause versus pause is a internal exercise largely. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back in a few moments. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So obviously the situation in the Middle East is dominating discussion here at this European Council, but there are other issues also on the agenda. Earlier on Thursday, the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed leaders by video link. I mean, I think this really is a sense that Ukraine is trying to keep their war, their conflict on the agenda. Barbara? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely that fear in Ukraine and also with Ukraine supporters in the EU, so Poland and the Baltics, that... Despite the the fact that EU leaders will say that they can spend their attention on both conflicts at the same time, that in the end Ukraine will be the second discussion on the agenda, as it was on the foreign affairs ministers' meeting earlier this week. Yeah, so of course some of the discussion here is about Ukraine funding, because in fact the leaders, the other big uh, debate topic is the MFF, which is the multi-annual financial framework, another piece of EU jargon that we know well, but that is a seven-year budget, and what's happened is that the European Union realises it needs more money for this budget, and this is shaping up to be one of the big debates of the autumn here in Brussels, and, and leaders are discussing this for the first time. Hans. Yeah, indeed. So German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, you, you may remember he has been a bit reluctant with aid to Ukraine, but then the last year it really has come around and, and is now a strong supporter and also on the forefront. Uh, and he's emphasizing all the time that we need to make sure that we get the financial support for Ukraine, not only for them um, to, to, to buy weapons, ammunition, etc., or supply them with ammunition, but uh, also that their economy can survive, that all the payments, uh, etc., that the, the country doesn't go bankrupt and there we come to the seven-year budget they need to do a review now until the end of the year that's uh, the target that they've set and Olaf Scholz always emphasizes that we need more money for Ukraine but maybe this doesn't have to mean that we need to add more money to the budget but we should instead rather uh, reprioritize and uh, take money from other funds away he hasn't said yet uh, where he wants to take it away but this is of course hugely controversial Uh, remember in 2020 the longest EU summit ever I think in in recent years was about the budget as soon as you go talk about the money it gets really really controversial yeah and I think that part of the reason that they're having this discussion now ahead of the December council even though there won't be any actual decisions on the budget is also to really make sure that leaders get their priorities straight on what they want to listen to each other priorities to kind of give some political momentum on this debate because so far it has been really technical and a lot of people are stressing out that they won't get there in time to get to your deal, especially because there is consensus on the money on Ukraine, as Hans said, but not on the rest and not how to finance them. I'm not sure we're looking forward to a five-day summit just before Mm. Christmas in December, but it may well happen. And also at that summit, let's not forget, I mean, one of the topics here that Zelensky in his address did bring up was the issue of enlargement. That's the other big theme here that EU leaders are grappling with in the next few months about whether to enlarge the EU. It it feels like it's not in the ether here at this summit, but that is something that uh, leaders are going to have to address in December. I mean, Jacobo, what are you hearing about divides about, you know, between different countries on Ukraine, on the financing, or even on enlargement. 
Zelensky mentioned actually uh, in his intervention the enlargement, but uh, here there is an open question because of uh, the position of Hungary. Uh, Hungary seems uh, to be the main uh, obstacle, you need unanimity. And uh, today was the debut of Robert Fitzo, the Slovak Prime Minister. Debut is a way of saying because actually he was already Prime Minister before. So it's the comeback of Robert Fitzo. And Fitzo is a supporter of uh, Hungary and Orban. So it remains to be seen whether uh, Hungary will really block and uh, what Slovakia will do, whether it will join Hungary or not. Nick, you were writing about this during the week, about this connection between Orban and Fizzo. I mean, what's your views on the arrival of, of Robert Fizzo to the European Council table here today? The diplomats we spoke to were fairly dismissive or fairly relaxed about uh, the, this new sort of pro-Putin, pro-Russia leader who's joining the table of, of uh, saying that, you know, Slovakia is a small country, it's five million people, and Robert Fizzo is not as deeply entrenched in power as uh, as Orban is. But now you have, as Jacopo was saying, you have two countries that can hold out on extra money for Ukraine, that can essentially bargain for leverage on other issues of interest for them. And that prolongs things and obviously makes life difficult for the Ukrainians. And of course, it's the first time EU leaders have seen Viktor Orban since his visit to Beijing, where he met Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Finally, migration, that's an issue that's here as well on the fringes. Um, Jacopo, what are you hearing about what people are saying about migration or who is trying to get this on the agenda? Migration is uh, so divisive that this time is almost like a mid- Middle East in terms of divisions. But uh, this time, uh, to avoid exposing these divisions, they don't even try to table uh, a joint text. So there is just a line saying uh, in the final text, oh, the leaders have discussed about migration. Okay. Because the last, uh, in June and also last month, it was just too difficult. So no way to reach agreement on a common text. Even though we had some countries like Orban, for example, the Hungarian leader, trying to make this connection between between maybe terrorism and migration. We just a week ago had this terrorist attack here in Brussels. Swedish nationals were targeted there. But as you say, there doesn't seem to be emerging as a big talking point really at this summit. At least not yet, because uh, we need to see the, the discussion of migration and the way it will unfold. Uh, again, they won't have a text, but it's still unclear when exactly the, the leaders will discuss it. Uh, some have been trying to make a, a link between terrorism and migration, but the majority of the others are trying to oppose to actually set up such a link. Interesting there, what Jakob was saying there about that migration debate. Hans, what's the debate like in Germany? I mean, have have the recent events in the Middle East inflected or impinged on the debate about migration in Germany? Actually, the debate about migration in Germany has already heated up quite a lot over the recent month. I mean, we have seen the far-right party Alternative for Deutschland polling now at about 22% in Germany. It's the second biggest party. Only the center-right opposition is a bit higher. But the far-right party is ahead of all the ruling parties, um, the three ruling parties in the government, um, Olaf Scholz, Social Democrats, for example. So that is a huge issue. Arrivals have really uh, peaked quite a lot. And now Olaf Scholz and and also the Greens who are in this government who are always reluctant on this issue are saying they really want to crack down now on illegal migration, on uh, people who have no right to stay, that they have to be returned. And uh, so this is something that was before, but of course uh, this situation now in the Middle East 
is raising concerns that if there was a broader war in our major emerging funds, let's think of, of a crisis in Lebanon, for example, if they join the war, for example, if Tehran massively blows up this war, so to say, then the refugee crisis would worsen quite a lot. And this is the last thing that uh, Ch Chancellor Olaf Scholz can need at the moment. So therefore, also today, he was emphasizing again that Tehran or the Hezbollah in Lebanon that should not think about joining this conflict and uh, that is a very clear position. That seems to be the real concern in Washington and around national capitals. Will this escalate and a kind of deterrence campaign against yeah. Iran and how, how it might respond next? Thanks so much to our star panel, Nick, Jacobo, Hans and Barbara for joining us. It's still a lot to run here in the European Council. We're coming to you Thursday night from the building in Brussels. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Tschüss, auf Wiedersehen. And that's all we have for you this week on EU Confidential. Please remember to follow us on your favourite app and write to us at podcast at politico.eu. We always like to hear your opinions and ideas for guests or topics. Thanks to our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, and to Diana Sturis, our senior audio producer. See you next week.